You know, one of the greatest things that I get to enjoy as a dad is just hearing the funny things that my sons will say from time to time. Uh, Even today in service, they were cracking me up with a number of things that they were saying. Uh, Theodore turned over to me at one point and said, Dad, is Everett lost? Where is he? (laughs) He's in the nursery, buddy. Or, Dad, why is that guy taking our money? (laughs) It's offering time, son. Why do we do that? These good little holy reminders of, of our precious children and their blank slates, so to speak, and how we're able to encourage them and train them up. Uh, well, a few weeks ago, we had a wonderful reminder through parenting in the son of our, uh, it, it, through the life of my son, Theodore. Specifically, he was in his room, and he's starting to get to that age right now where he is feeling a little bit afraid of the dark. And specifically, if we leave the closet door open, a little crack. So we hear him calling out from his bedroom, Mom, Mom, Dad, Dad, help, help. So we go inside, and my wife is talking to him. And he says, I'm afraid of the dark. I'm afraid of the dark space in the closet door right there. And my wife's about to close that closet door when he says to her, Can you play that song for me? The one that tells me to not be afraid? The one that reminds me that God is with me and that I don't need to be afraid? So, of course, she sings that song and plays it on the CD boombox that he has in his bed. And he gets to listen to that song, and we hear him singing it from his room, singing scripture, singing the reminders of not being afraid, for the Lord your God is with you, and that he will be with you. And hearing those things and seeing that faith in my son is a reminder of why we gather. It's a reminder of why we read scriptures. It's a reminder of why we sing, because we do these things in order to encourage our faith with each other. We do this in order to build ourselves up. So we are going to be reading through scripture today. We are going to be looking at God's word and allowing these words to hopefully transform us. So church, I hope that you've come hungry. I hope that you've come ready to hear a word from the Lord. Because I believe God will speak to all of us today. And I think that the life of Daniel will remind us How do we respond to times of trouble? So let's go ahead and read God's word. If you would, Daniel chapter 2, verses 14. We're going to hopefully get to 23 today, 14 through 23. I'm doing a little bit more verses today than in the last few weeks, but that's, it'll make sense once we get there. So let's go ahead and read Daniel 2, 14. Follow along silently as I read aloud. When Ariok, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? And Ariok then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went in to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream of the king. Or for him. So what's going on here? If you weren't with us last week, what you would have learned is that King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, 
has a dream. And this dream disturbs him. It really creates this concern. And have you ever been in a situation like that, right? Where you have a dream and you wake up unsettled by it. Well, this is the situation that King Nebuchadnezzar goes through. But unlike us, what King Nebuchadnezzar decides to do is he invites his wise men into his court and says that I need you to tell me my dream and interpret this dream for me. Now, the king's wise men are panicked by this request because they cannot escape the king's request of wanting the, them to be able to interpret the dream for him. So the king says that if you cannot do this for me, then I'm going to sentence you each to death. So when we get to Daniel, he is at this time of execution where the king's guard is about to execute him and his friends. And something interesting happens right out of the gate in verse 14. And it says that Daniel spoke to him with what? With wisdom and tact, right? With wisdom and tact. You know, we do not know exactly where Daniel was when all the other wise men were trying to influence the king to prevent him from issuing the order to have them executed, but it's obvious that Daniel most likely was not involved in the room. So when the king's guard comes to Daniel and tells him that he has been sentenced to death, Daniel, as you can imagine, has panic feelings. But how does he respond to this moment? He responds by doing what? Speaking with what? Wisdom intact. In fact, the Hebrew word here for tact is ta'em. And I'll put that on the screen for you, ta'em. And what it literally means, the literal translation for that word is good taste. Daniel speaks with good taste. It's the same way that we use uh, that phrase today where we would say that was in good taste or that was in bad taste, right? Have you ever been in a situation like that where somebody did something in good taste or maybe they did something in bad taste? It's that same type of euphemism and expression that Daniel spoke within good taste. And I think this is already a spiritual reminder for us that when we are in rough situations, we need to be able to be calm under pressure and use good taste in our situation right? That it is, in fact, beneficial for us to use the wisdom that God has given us in times of trouble. You see, I think it's very easy to feel panicked in trouble, isn't it not? Right? When usually when something serious is happening, we feel those panicked feelings. It might come if your car all of a sudden breaks down or you get bad news from the doctor or something happens at work and it creates the alarm bell feelings that you have. How you respond to that matters. I've oftentimes say, said and I will continue to say that going to God is one of the best places that we can begin if we are in a time of peril. But we also cannot forget that, the, that God gives us wisdom, that through his word and through the building up of our faith, that we have a resource 
called wisdom that we can use to handle the situations that we find ourselves in. And Daniel is doing just that. He is using his wisdom to handle this situation. And what happens through Daniel using this wisdom and speaking in good taste? He requests from the king's officer the reasons why he's going to be executed. And then from there, he's able to request an audience with the king in order to plead for more time in order to fulfill the king's wishes. And apparently, Daniel had enough good taste that he convinces the executioner to allow him to do all of these things and even convinces the king to allow Daniel to have more time when the king was already firm with what? Not wanting anybody to have more time, but executing now. So church, a question that I ask you is how do you respond to pressure? How do you respond to the different challenges that you face in life? When somebody is speaking to you harshly or when you receive bad news, do those kinds of things shake you in a way where you also respond poorly? And maybe instead of responding in good taste, you respond in what? bad taste or poor taste, right? I was reading this scripture verse this week, not in preparation for the message, but just because I was in God's word. And I think it fits really well with how Daniel responded and what is representative of him. And it's from Psalm 112, verses 6 through 7. I'll read them for you and hopefully put them on the screen here. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. And I really like verse 7 here. They will have no fear of bad news. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. I really like verse 7. And the reason why is, is because I think oftentimes when we receive bad news, our hearts are not very steadfast, are they? And right now, we're seeing a lot of bad news in the world, are we not? We're seeing a lot of bad news even within our own country. Whether it is increased prices of things all around that has us stressed out. Whether it's the political landscape that we find ourselves in. When something doesn't align with our beliefs or values, it feels like bad news, right? When you see things that shock your senses of what's happening overseas or even in our country, it is bad news. Make no mistake about that. But God is calling us to have what kind of disposition in the face of bad news? He's calling us to be calm. He's calling us to be steadfast. He's calling us to be able to put our trust in him. You see, I think a big reason why we're able to be calm under pressure, or for that matter, why we at times cannot find ourselves calm under pressure, is because how we respond to those moments matters. 
A person who is trusting in God is making what his foundation? God his foundation. Just like we sung earlier on in the service, which by the way, it, it, it's a shoe-in with what I wanted to talk about here. God is our foundation. And when God is our firm foundation, when things come our way, they do not have the same effect of knocking us down. But, but, when we do not allow God and his spirit to be at the center of our lives, to be what influences our mind as well as our emotions, then what happens? You feel the fear of the world creeping into your heart. You see, I think a huge reason why some are able to be calm under pressure and some buckle has to do with where you're allowing your fear to live. You see, we are called as Christians to have fear in who? In the Lord. That is very biblical. To fear God, to fear the Lord. And that might sound new for some of you. You might think to yourself, well, I thought that I'm not supposed to have any fear in life. You are. You are supposed to have some fears in your life, specifically the fear of God. Well, Pastor Kevin, why would I fear God? I thought God was supposed to be all loving, all merciful, and all good. Why would I place my fears in him? Because God is the creator, the sustainer of the universe. And because he is great and mighty and powerful, our fears are in him. It's, a, it's the form of fear that allows us to see him for who he is in comparison to the problems that we face. A phrase that comes to mind is one that my grandfather shared with me long ago. Big problems, bigger God. And that's a phrase that has stuck with me through the years of my life, that God is truly bigger than any situation we can ever face. And when our fears are placed within him, then through that, we're able to change the way that we respond to the world around us. You see, I believe the reason why Daniel was calm under pressure was because he was able to have fear in the right object. You see, he didn't fear the king more than he feared God. And he trusted that God would ultimately be the director of his life and not this King Nebuchadnezzar. Is that where you are at? Have you placed all your fears in global politics or even American politics? Or have you placed your fears in the Lord? That regardless of the outcome, regardless of... If something happens that is controversial or in conflict with your beliefs, that you can remain firm in the Lord. See, one of the things that I'm trying to practice and I'm trying to remember is that if we study history, the church, believe it or not, is almost always at its best in times of conflict. In times where the geopolitical spectrum or, or landscape of things is not always going as well as it should be. Why? Because there's something that happens when we become too comfortable. 
When we become too comfortable is when we stop placing our fear in God and we start allowing our lives to just become normalized by the things that we feel in control of. Does that make sense to you? Because when we're comfortable, we're less dependent upon who? Upon God, our creator. But when we are in times of peril, when we are in times of challenge, what do we then become dependent upon? God, because we feel that sense of not being able to control the landscape around us. Make no mistake, church, that I believe the church is almost always strongest when we feel the opposition, when we feel feel the challenge around us, when we feel the lack of comfort, not because those things are good in of itself, but it, because it causes us to become more dependent upon God. Make no mistake, this situation was an opportunity for Daniel to become more dependent upon God. But I want to make this careful point here. I think some of us, some of us, can wrongly assume that Daniel had this capability to be strong under pressure because Daniel was somehow born a little different, right? That he was born brave, that he was born with a strong faith. And we tend to think that oftentimes of people, do we not? You know, maybe we watch the Olympics and you go, wow, wouldn't it be nice to be born with that kind of skill set? Or maybe we see somebody that we admire and we go, man, they're just so gifted. And don't get me wrong, there is, God does distribute gifts to people, but we must never forget what it takes to get good at anything. And the simple answer of what it takes to, good at, to get good at anything is what? Practice. Everybody said it, right? Because it's universally known that to get good at anything, it, it, it takes practice. In fact, I would argue that somebody that has a natural gift of doing something well will be outshined with somebody who has the dedication to keep on practicing and to keep on getting better and better and better and better. Why? Because practice allows you to get stronger and better at whatever you're committing yourself to. So here's what we know about Daniel. Already we've seen multiple times the opportunity for what? For him to depend on God. So I believe that Daniel is practicing what? Dependence on God regardless of the circumstances he's found himself in. He's already gone through more than most of us will in an entire lifetime. He's already been he's already seen his city fall. He's already seen people die. He's already been taken away from his homeland and brought into a foreign nation. He's already seen all of these things. And through these things, he's had the opportunity to do what? Either practice his fear of the world and his fear of man or his fear of King Nebuchadnezzar or do what? To continue to be dependent upon God and allow God to be at the center of his life. I like this quote. Some of you may know this gentleman. In fact, he was the preaching pastor at my home church, John Maxwell. He writes a number of leadership books that are really good. And I like this quote from him. 
Success is due to our stretching to the challenges of life. Failure comes when we shrink from them. I'll read that again. Success is due to our stretching to the challenges of life. Failure comes when we shrink from them. Is that not true, if you think about it in your own life? The times that I believe that we truly fail in life is when we fail to embrace the challenge. That has become a motto in my own life. It's been a mantra, so to speak, of something that I continue to try to remind myself in times of hardship, to embrace the challenge. Now, some of you hear me say to embrace the challenge, and what you heard is to make life hard for yourself. I don't mean that, and I'm sure some of your spouses here think that that's what they heard too, right? I'm not saying make your life purposefully difficult. But what I am saying, because some of you are really good at making your life purposefully difficult, right? But what I am saying is do not be afraid, church, of the challenges that you face. Each and every single one of you face different challenges. Right? Some of the challenges you're facing right now is I don't know how to deal with this bad news I received from work. I do not know how to deal with this financial situation that I find myself in. I do not know how to deal with the tensions that I'm feeling right now with my spouse or with a friend or with a coworker or with another person that we have to do life with. Some of you guys are dealing with challenges of, I'm not sure how to navigate the future. I'm not sure what's going on right now, and this feels like a big challenge. And I think typically, our responses to challenges are distraction, right? What do we do oftentimes when we feel faced with a challenge. We try to distract ourselves. We maybe turn on the TV, we stream something on our phones, and we try to avoid the challenge that we're facing. Maybe we just pretend to ignore it. You know, I once drove Phil's car and I noticed the check engine light was on and it was hidden under a tape that I guess he was ignoring there. And what do we do? We, we divert our eyes from the alarm bells, from the problem. Phil, I know why you had that there. I'm just giving you a hard time, brother. <laughs> but we ignore it, right? And we try to distract ourselves from it. That's usually what we try to do. Maybe we avoid it and we just don't try to walk the other way. If we see that person at our job that we know we have struggles with, maybe we walk the other way or don't pick up somebody's phone call. Or maybe we distract ourselves and we watch TV or we do something that, again, tries to avoid that problem. When maybe, just maybe, God is calling you to do what? To embrace the challenge. Now, Daniel... His two options were either embrace this challenge or die, right? That was it. So sometimes when you're in a situation like that, what happens? 
you do great things. Or at least it leads you down to a road of doing great things, which is another reason why I believe the church and people are oftentimes stronger under pressure. But we still need to practice it in our here and now. This is why I think people who are, live lives avoiding challenges are oftentimes weaker people for it. You know, why is it that oftentimes some of the greatest people that we admire are also the people who have gone through what? The most hardship. Church, I do not know anybody in scripture worth admiring who didn't embrace the challenge that was before them. Every single person that you admire from Scripture, every single person I admire from Scripture, embraced the challenge. They all saw the situation and they decided to do what? To move forward. And there's no other person in Scripture that embodies that better than the person of Christ. That even in his ministry, at the last moments leading up to what would be his crucifixion, he does what? He prays this prayer. He says, Father, take this cup from me. Right? He asks God to do what? To take the challenge away. To remove what he knows is going to be the greatest hardship that he's ever experienced. In his entire life that none of us can even fathom. Because you see, the crucifixion was much more painful than just the physical pain that he would go through. The crucifixion was the perfect storm of all of the spiritual pain and physical pain that can ever be experienced in one time. And Jesus prays for that cup to be removed for him. But how does he end that prayer? Not my will, Lord, but your will be done. And then what did Jesus do? He got up and he embraced that challenge. And through that, what comes? Well, 40 days from now, we're going to be talking about that, right? What comes from that is the resurrection. Not just his resurrection, but our resurrection. Embrace the challenge. Let's keep reading in Daniel 2.17. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So how did Daniel handle this situation? He first spoke with wisdom and tact. He then, after that, what did he do? He goes home and he explains this matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And he urges them to do what? To pray for God's mercy in their lives to pray for God's mercy in their lives so that they can be spared I love this because within this short story we see firsthand 
a really good template to how we need to handle the challenge. One, use wisdom, right? Speak smartly, use knowledge. If you don't have good wisdom, scripture tells us, right, that even a fool appears wise if he does what? Keeps his mouth shut. At the very least, just don't talk. (laughs) And then after we apply wisdom, what do we do? We go to God and we go to our community. Amen? I hate, I know hate is a strong word, but it's true. I hate hearing, I don't need the church, right? That's just organized religion. I can follow God on my own. I read scriptures and I just go, no, you don't. I don't believe you. Because every scripture that I at least read personally is always pointing to what? Community. It's always pointing to doing life together. Why? Because church, we need each other. I'm not saying that as some little cute cliche, we need each other. But we really do. It is 100% true. We need each other. And there are times in life where we really feel that. Where we feel the weight of needing community. There is nothing more sad than a person who is struggling alone in life. Because that person needs the strength of other people to go to God with them. It's why in our services we have continued to maintain congregational prayer. Because we need each other. And we don't just need each other on Sundays, but guess what? We need each other Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, every single day of the week. So, Christians in the room, if all you're doing is engaging with church on Sunday, I will say confidently, you need to join a group of people. You need to come to the Douglas uh, studies on Thursday. You need to go with Roger on Wednesday. You need to join the women's group if you're a lady and hungry for community. You need to figure out some way to surround yourself with like-minded people, the kind of people like Mishael, Azariah, and Hananiah, that when you're faced with the weight of the world, you can say, here guys, hey, Let's, let's, let's huddle up together and let's pray. Hey, Mike, I got this thing going on, bro, and I, I need you to pray for me with it, okay? You need that. And if you don't have that in your life, then you're not embracing the challenge well. Because guess what? We get to do that together, church. We get to embrace challenges together. One of the sad things I... Love many things about being American, but one of the sad things that is embedded within our American culture, for better or for worse, sometimes it's wonderful, sometimes it's bad, is we have a mindset of, don't help me, I'm okay. I could, I could figure out this situation, I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps, thank you, right? That is not a good way of life. It's fine to have the pioneer spirit, to want to be a trailblazer, and to do things that create inroads into other, other needs, other areas of need. We're trying to talk about that more as a church right now. How are we, what are some new things that we can do to reach the neighborhood, to reach the community? We need that. 
But to think that we can only do that by ourselves is misunderstanding what God has created in community. We need each other. But what does that also mean? That also means that we need to be available to each other in a way that encourages community. So that's a double-sided coin there, right? Even though we need each other, we also need to make sure that we're creating a community that feels needed, right? Here's a bad way to respond to somebody who's facing trouble, to then go off and then gossip about them, or to go off and then criticize them. Does that promote the we need each other mentality? No. What, that, what is that going to create? It's going to create avoidance. Find people in your life. Men, find other men. Women, find other women in your life that are like Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. That when you're faced with life's troubles, you can go to them and ask them to plead to God with you. Okay. I'm on page five. I got ten pages. I think we need to wait for next week <laughs> of the other ones. Otherwise, we're going to have an extra long service. Church, I want us to embrace the challenge this year. I'm going to have some real talk with you right now. Here's the real talk. This church, years ago, sadly, was declining. There was less people attending this church every year for a while. And we were on a decline. We're not out of the woods yet. But through God's grace, we have been growing every single year. We've been seeing younger people come. We've been seeing people we haven't seen for a while come. And I praise God for that. But we have a lot more work to do. What happens on a Sunday is a beautiful thing. But that is just one piece of the pie. God is calling us, I believe, to embrace challenges right now. To embrace things that are going on within our community, within our world, within our congregation, within this neighborhood of Aurora that he wants us to take up and hold to. And I believe that the more we do those things, the better we're going to be for it. The more we embrace the challenge, the more we're going to see God move, right? Because people don't see God move if they don't embrace the challenge. But people see God move in, in mighty, amazing ways when they embrace the challenge. Are you going to do that with me? Because look, I'm one person. And let me be clear, I'm one fallible person. Flawed in many ways that my wife can tell you. But I'm hungry to do more in our community. To see God move in ways that I know is him. But the way that we're going to do that is if we do it together. If we, in the face of our own obstacles, lock arms with each other and continue to be the church to the world around us. This week, when you are experiencing a challenge that is in front of you, when you feel that pressure coming in, 
and you wonder to yourself, what am I going to do? Don't just turn on the TV and distract yourself. Don't just go away and avoid it. Ask the Lord to help you in this moment to embrace the challenge. And perhaps, maybe, what you should do, not perhaps, what you should do is then invite somebody else to help you through that. Find a prayer partner. Find somebody who can help keep you accountable. And, ex- and, and practice this out. Because I believe that the more we practice th- these things, just like the parable of the talents, the more God is going to entrust not just you, but this church to be responsible for making change. Amen? That's how we do it, church. We don't do it just by having a good band on, on, on the platform. We don't do it just by having good preaching on a Sunday. We grow a church. We grow a movement by the Holy Spirit, by the power of God. That's how we grow. And the only way that we can do that is if we yield ourselves to God's moving in our lives through embracing the challenges that he calls us to hold. Let's pray.